Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press This WordPress Community Podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl, and I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As always, you can subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes of Press This at webmasterradio.fm. In this episode, we're going to be covering practically perfect personalization with 10up's own Phil Crum. Phil, welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you here. And Phil, you you're, you kind of ruined the alliteration there with the title. Uh, if your name was pronounced Pahill, it would have been uh, more of an alliteration. We could have played on those P's a little bit more. Hey, we can change it for today if we need to. Okay. Well, maybe we'll stick with Phil for now, but we'll come back to that if we feel the need to have more alliterations in the show. Um, but uh, thanks again for coming. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to get to know you over the years. I know you've participated in a couple of panels that I've been the moderator of and really just wanted to take the time today to have you on and talk about personalization. So for everyone listening, um, what we're going to be covering today is the evolution of personalization. How did we kind of get here? Uh, how brands use personalization, particularly through Phil's and Tenup's eyes, and then uh, the business case for personalization. When does it and does it not make sense? And then what might personalization evolve to in the future? So really needy topics in a really short podcast, um, but I'm looking forward to hearing more about that from Phil. So Phil, to kick us off, um, I actually don't know if I've even asked you this question before. Don't know the answer for sure, uh, but what is your WordPress origin story? What was the first experience you had with WordPress? So my WordPress origin story actually starts back over 15 years ago now. So I used to be very heavily involved in an open source uh, forum software that was popular at the time called PHPBB. Uh, worked on the development team there, did some support there as well. By work, I mean volunteered. And as I began to take on freelance clients, uh, I started encountering a lot of people who were very interested in the concept of blogging which at the time was relatively nascent. They were looking to build online communities that connected their content with their uh, community-based uh, endeavors and their uh, effort to build out their audience 
And we've come a little bit full circle here now and that this is kind of the genesis of personalization as well. But at the time, uh, a lot of those folks were looking to integrate with some sort of content management platform and WordPress at that point in time was still pretty up and coming. Uh, that was back prior to version 2.0, I think, and started working on some integration projects there, trying to connect forums with uh, WordPress-based blogs. And the rest is kind of history. I uh, ended up working at Automatic for a couple of years on the WordPress.com VIP team, supporting a bunch of really exciting big enterprise sites, and joined TenUp about uh, four and a half years ago now, I think, to uh, continue that work for folks in the publishing space to think about how we can continue to make content interesting and help people build their audiences. That's awesome. So it's kind of like I was a necessity, right? You're needing to integrate and uh, essentially the, at that time, adoption of WordPress was kind of driving that need to integrate. Um, you know, our last guest on the show is Patrick Mean, and he kind of had a similar story. Uh, he's the founder of webpagetest.org, and he was talking about how through his kind of adventures in the webpagetest.org um, universe, kind of running into WordPress and thinking about, you know, how his technology kind of complements or works with it. Um, as kind of his entry. So it's interesting to have uh, hear you tell a similar story. So kind of now bridging more obviously into our core topic here, which is personalization. Um, I think it'd be helpful for everyone here. I think everyone has their own definition of what that means, but what does personalization mean to you? So personalization is really a spectrum in terms of the way that we actually implement it. But at the end of the day, it's this notion of showing our audience, whether they be customers for our online business, readers for online content, other content on sites that they, we think might be relevant to them by some criteria. You know, that can be anywhere from customizing the actual bodies of pages, looking at things like unique calls to action, even showing people different landing pages, for instance, all the way to a much simpler approach where we just show people recommended content that they think might be interested in. So it's this notion of relevance to the reader, uh, understanding a little bit about who they are, and then using that information to serve content that's relevant for them. Exactly. You should enter that in Wikipedia as the definition of personalization. I think that's like dead on. I think I can even cite this podcast as a source, so we're set. Oh, I like it. I like how you're, I like where you're going with that, Phil. All right, cool. So now that we have a sense of at least how you think of personalization, I think for me it's almost exactly the same. How has personalization evolved over the years and maybe particularly in a WordPress context? Like where do we start from and like how do we get here? Right. I think it's helpful to go back and think about sort of the history of the problem that we're trying to solve with content personalization. So back when I got involved in WordPress 15 years ago now, there weren't a lot of folks publishing content online. So provided that you were writing good, high quality content, people would seek you out. You do well on sites like Dig at the time was popular, Slashdot, and you could build a pretty good following that way. As online content publishing began to take off, as people began to realize the value of it or just get interested in getting their voice out there and heard, things started to become significantly more competitive and that quality itself started to become more of a commodity. So folks began to look at different ways to differentiate their publishing platforms and their narratives over time and begin to settle on the idea of building user engagement, getting people on your site, showing them more things that you think they might be interested in and hoping that they'd continue to be interested and engage in your content from there. So As more folks okay. have done that, you know, it's gotten a, a little bit more complicated now and uh, the technology that we bring, the level of recommendation, instead of that personalization has continued to increase as 
the previous bleeding edge has become more of a commodity and people have looked for ways to stand out and engage audiences better than the other folks that they're competing against in their space. So it's kind of like this notion almost in a sense of like a digital arms race, like everyone's publishing static content. So now I need to delight my views, uh, visitors in some new way. And it just kind of keeps, it sounds like the way you're describing is it kind of keeps building and building in terms of complexity and strategies around, you know, extracting value from these audiences and delivering new experiences that they haven't had before. But it almost sounds like for you, you think that the genesis was in this notion of wanting to be different from your competition and like, what's the next thing we're going to try? Would you say that's true? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, as everybody matures a little bit in their offering and what they can provide for their readers, if you want to be better than everyone else, that threshold continues to get higher. And that's true of personalization as it is with many other facets of online publishing. So I want to dig into this and we have a break coming up and I'm just curious if we could kind of start with this, maybe pick up after the break, but what are some of the different approaches brands use today in a WordPress context to personalize their sites or experiences? Right. So there's a very simple way, which is almost commoditized at this point, which is the notion of showing folks related content generally within articles or items that you've published or at the end of them, you've probably seen these things all over the web as a way of building engagement. From there, we start to see customization take over even more in-depth parts of the platform, ranging from uh, the way that we present navigation items to users to the way that we present calls to actions on pages, sometimes even the pages themselves that we show people based on a whole wide variety of criteria that can make sense in whatever business context you're aiming at. So basically when like the related article aspect is really just trying to say uh, using search or other indexing technologies, basically saying these things are similar to this piece of content. So show these articles to visitors visiting this page, kind of personalizing based on the context. But then you're saying people will also go even further identifying on the individual or the source of the traffic essentially in order to deliver any kind of personalization experience or content. Right. That's exactly correct. And as we look at the way that people implement these things, even the individual functionality has gotten more complicated over the last couple of years. You know, a long time ago, we'd look at uh, the content of articles, you know, the categories and tags that were associated with them to try to make recommendations that way. Everybody started doing that. So folks who are on the bleeding edge would start to look at less obvious comparison metrics, sometimes comparing the bodies of article content, sometimes looking at viewer history to build kind of relevancy matrices the way that uh, other platforms like Spotify make recommendations, for example. It's gotten considerably more complicated over time, but you know the genesis of that idea there is if you're on a site and I show you something that looks like it would probably be interesting to you, you're more likely to click on it and stay engaged in the site and uh, turn from a one-time reader to a dedicated audience member. There's obviously lots of opportunities to take advantage of that, and of course, an infinite amount of complexity in coming up with those strategies and implementing it. So what I want to do is after this break, uh, I want to come back and I want to kind of explore a little bit more around those topics. So everyone hang tight and we'll be right back.
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm interviewing 10UP's Phil Crum about personalization and WordPress. Right before the break, Phil, you were sharing some of the different approaches brands took to personalization, everything from related articles all the way to custom experiences and content for individuals. Um, and I'm just curious, like if you, uh, or from 10UP's perspective or your personal perspective, if you have favorite like personalization tools in the WordPress context, or are you guys like custom coding all of these things is a mix of that stuff. Um, what advice would you give for people thinking about their technology decisions with personalization? So it really depends on the fundamental user behavior that you're looking to use personalization to drive. And then as part of that, you know, the maturity of your technical platform, the investments that you want to make, that sort of thing. When we think about these challenges at 10UP, we like to begin with a pretty holistic discussion, not even thinking about personalization specifically of what the key performance indicators are for your platform. Uh, for folks who are in the content publishing space, that's very often things like time on site, number of pages in a session, number of return visits. For folks who are using WordPress or other content publishing platforms as less of a blogging or content portal and a little bit more of a uh, marketing play, you might look at things like conversion rates, click-through rates, engagement in, with individual sections of individual pages. If you're just getting started and you're focusing primarily on content, you can do pretty well with some of those simpler uh, content recommendation pieces that we talked about earlier. Uh, WordPress.com Automatics Jetpack uh, plugin includes a content recommendation system that actually does relatively well. Uh, when we start looking at maturing that a little bit, uh, Tenup has built a plugin called Elastic Press. That's an uh, Elastic Search integration with WordPress uh, that will open up a whole bunch of custom development opportunities. Uh, when we look a little bit more on the marketing side of the house, tools like Parsley, Marketo, Salesforce is investing pretty heavily in some of its audience and uh, cohort recognition technologies. It can be big plays there. At the end of the day, for most people, it's generally something that uh, will begin with some of those simpler off-the-shelf tools like Jetpack's plugin, and ultimately at this point, be something that you'll be looking at a custom engineering approach towards as you want to take things uh, a little bit further down the road uh, in ways that are more sophisticated and better aligned with your particular business needs. Uh, yeah. For I was just going to say, I think it's interesting to hear you describe it like that, because I think for a lot of people, when they think of personalization, they think of magic artificial intelligence that knows exactly who a person is and delivers the perfect message at the perfect moment in time. But there's so many flavors of how you can deliver that uh, content that's specific to the user's journey that's separate and apart from knowing exactly who they are as an individual. Right. I was actually going to add, too, that, you know, for the entrepreneurial among us who might be listening to this, uh, I think there's actually a lot of opportunity in this space. And that, you know, to your point, David, uh, when you think about this kind of thing, there are a lot of those technologies out there that are very exciting and very nascent, like machine learning and artificial intelligence that led themselves very well to this space. But particularly within the WordPress community, there aren't a whole lot of productized offerings out there yet that provide this sort of thing. So it's really the domain of folks who can afford to invest the time and the money to custom build out these experiences once they get past the place where some of these simpler approaches aren't working for them. You know, as the community continues to mature, I expect that to change. Uh, but this is very interesting in that it's uh, very much a high interest 
a piece of functionality right now. And I think the product side of the community is just starting to catch up with the opportunity that exists there. So, you know, it's interesting because you think about it in terms of how attractive a strategy it is. And look, I like shiny new toys as much as the next person, but not every shiny new toy is going to result in success for the site that I'm managing or building or whatever. How do you know when it's worth the trouble to go through the custom development or, you know, kind of trudge your way through the tools that are off the shelf in order to implement a personalization strategy? Like, are you A-B testing it when you implement it? Do you do business cases? How do you know it's worth the trouble of doing all that work? I think it's a combination of understanding your audience and the behavior that you ultimately want to motivate from that audience. And in many cases, exhausting the opportunity that you can utilize and find through those solutions that are already commercially available, whether it be for free or, you know, a relatively manageable cost. Uh, What I recommend effectively anybody do at this point in time is turn on one of those personalization plugins, whether it be Jetpack's functionality or elsewise, look at your analytics, consider A-B testing if that's something that you're comfortable doing and think might be valuable, and look at the data. You know, this is an especially, I think, unique piece of functionality in that the outcomes that we're looking to drive are all things that we can quantify pretty well, which is to say that we can understand whether or not adding related article functionality to our site engages our users. We can understand whether individual calls to action do better than others and combine that with the knowledge that we have of our audience and the platform and goals that we're trying to work towards and make informed decisions in that way. So one thought I have relative to how people implement this inside of a WordPress context is the notion of offloading. Do you feel like a lot of that processing and storage requirements to create a personalized experience like, are you, are you guys approaching it more from like the inside WordPress? Or are you kind of offloading it? I know you mentioned Elastic Press, for example. I'm sure that's doing a lot of that with things like a lot uh, related posts and things like that. But I'm just curious if you've, you've thought much about the notion of offloading relative to personalization. I think personalization is very much a general challenge from a technical perspective where there is a significant amount of value in offloading. A lot of these problems aren't things that are new or unique. They're just being applied in ways that are a little bit new or unique uh, in the web publishing space. So for example, to use uh, dig into the Elasticsearch use case for a little bit, Elasticsearch does a very good job of letting you define relevancy rules and pulling up content based on those rules. You can get pretty in depth in terms of the way that uh, you specify the business logic for how that works. It's not really a sensible investment for most people to reinvent the wheel in that regard when they can take advantage of another technology that's out there. And when we look at more sophisticated ways of implementing personalization, starting to think about things like identifying audiences and showing different content to different audiences, other platforms like Salesforce, Marketo have invested pretty significant amounts of time, energy, and money in figuring out how to make the underpinnings of that work that I don't think are sensible for folks to reproduce where it does make sense for you to roll this into your content management workflow and platform is in the glue that exists between those layers. Now a tool like Salesforce or Marketo might be able to help group users into cohorts. A tool like Elasticsearch might be able to help you define relevancy criteria. Uh, But at the end of the day, the control that we look to provide to our content publishers in terms of how that's exposed, 
where and how we show related contents on the site, the way that we manage it is something that makes a lot of sense to keep very close to the content management platform, if only for the sanity of the folks who are maintaining that content day in and day out. So speaking of the sanity of the people maintaining that content, you know, you kind of talked about some of the workflow advantages to using off-the-shelf technology. Um, Of course, there's uh, performance and other advantages to just offloading in general. But what about these poor content teams? Or they have like 10,000 profiles of individuals or groups they want to target. And like, an equal number of variances of each pieces of content. Like when does, I don't know if you have any insights into this, but like, when does that get to be too much? I mean, obviously you can't have 10,000 versions of the same intro title or something like that. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you view people balancing the content requirements of identifying all these cohorts and writing custom content for them all? As a general rule of thumb, this is true of AB testing and it's true of content personalization as well. If you're looking to maintain any more than three or four variants, you better have a pretty good reason for needing to do it or else you're likely investing too much. I think that most folks, as they sit back and think about their audiences and the way that they engage with their site, are probably only looking at, at most, two or three at any given time, maybe four or five in a very complicated case. Whether you're a content publisher or a B2B enterprise that's using WordPress as a marketing platform, I think that'll generally hold true. Gutenberg, WordPress's new block-based editor, is actually a very interesting play here in that I think that it provides a very interesting framework for controlling these content variants and providing an interface that's actually manageable for them uh, directly through the editing experience. Thinking back about the WordPress Classic editor, there wasn't really a clear design pattern in place for how exactly you could do this. Uh, We created a couple of platforms back in the day where you'd have different versions of every page, which became pretty unmaintainable very quickly. Uh, But when we we start thinking about these things in a block-based approach, it gives us a nice editorial workflow for managing them. Frankly, it gives us a sort of level of detail in terms of the way that we divide up these pages so that people don't get too crazy with it. And as the community continues to learn how to work with Gutenberg, uh, I think that we'll see some interesting UI patterns develop here that'll uh, eventually become more commonplace that can handle content variants for challenges like personalization, uh, other items like translation that are relatively popular as well. I dig it. I like how you worked in Gutenberg into this interview, Phil, very, very timely here, right after the release of the block editor. Um, This is super insightful. Um, We're going to take one more quick break and we come back. Phil's going to enlighten us more around personalization. So everyone hang tight and we'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm interviewing 10 Phil Crum about personalization with WordPress. 
right before the break, Phil was kind of uh, enlightening us a little bit into the decisions behind personalization, the business case behind it, why you should bother with it, and then some of the advantages to using off-the-shelf technology and some of the challenges of content teams. So, um, you know, I think with GDPR coming out last year, Phil, I think the thing on everyone's mind, I know in mine, every time I touch a technology like this is, you know, what am I going to do for uh, privacy and compliance um, relative to personalization? You have to, in certain forms of personalization, you're, you know, kind of required to collect a lot of information. And I know you're not going to give legal advice, certainly wouldn't want you to, um, but do you have any like quick high level tips of how people might think of privacy and uh, compliance relative? to personalization? This problem becomes significantly easier if you happen to be fortunate enough to have built a platform where you're already collecting folks' information as part and parcel of what you're doing. So for example, we actually just launched a project uh, that integrates very deeply with Salesforce and has some notion of personalization. It's a primarily subscription-based platform. We're already collecting users' information. uh, So we don't really need to do anything special to be able to handle personalization in a way that's sensitive to the user's privacy. Uh, for more traditional content publishing sites where you're primarily working with anonymous users, you can get pretty far in terms of the depth of personalization that you provide and ultimately the value that you're providing to your readers without needing to have that user sacrifice their anonymity, which is to say that by uh, observing users' browsing habits in an anonymous way, collecting usage details, but not personally identifiable usage details, you can come up with a pretty good understanding of what users do on the whole uh, that will let you drive content recommendations. It gets a little bit more, to your point, David, uh, of a gray area when we start thinking about how we identify users a little bit more closely outside of things like their browsing habits within singular sessions on the site. You know, that's very much a place where you want to sit down and think about your audience, whether GDPR is relevant to you. Think about your ability to build out some of that technical tooling that you'll need for uh, right to delete and other concerns that come as part of GDPR and uh, ultimately work with legal counsel to decide whether or not it's worth the investment for you. You know, it's certainly something that's become a lot more complicated over the last couple of years, especially in the, the traditional way of getting very hyper-focused with personalization, with third-party cookies and services that monitor behavior across sites is no longer viable anymore. I don't think that's a huge problem in the long run in that you can deliver pretty significant value using a relatively small set of variables, but it's absolutely something worth being cognizant of. And I think more importantly for folks who are considering thinking about personalization, something to remain aware of as they think through their long-term strategy, knowing that some of those approaches and technologies that might seem to be interesting and seem like they could provide value for you could end up running awry of a a number of legal regulations and ethical thing considerations that uh, probably are worth avoiding at this point if you can. Yeah, I like the the call your lawyer tip. That's why I tell everybody when they ask me that question. I'm like, talk to your legal counsel. They'll tell you all about it. Um, and it's kind of funny. And it's thinking funny also to think about this this notion of like reducing your data signals to further anonymize the people or the information that you're gathering. And that's also super tricky. I don't know if you remember from back in the day, there was a very popular dial-up internet service provider that 
on their own released a bunch of user search data and people were able to use that search data to isolate individuals and identify them as a person in what they had searched for. So even you might have good intentions or might not even realize the connections between things um, that could potentially be used to identify individuals as part of a data set. Um, but it's super tricky stuff. And I think the tip to, you know, kind of get with your counsel is certainly the safest um, path and make sure they're, of course, they're fully informed of what you're trying to do and uh, in what jurisdictions you're trying to do it. Because, of course, that's going to affect their decision and advice as well. Right. And I think the good news there for most people is that, you know, if you're just looking to get started with personalization, you're not building something out custom, this is something that is on the minds of most folks who are developing products along these lines, ranging from related post plugins all the way to you know, some mature, more mature software as a service tools, which is to say that you know, if you stay within the lanes that are painted on the road, you're likely to end up in a place that'll be okay. But it is absolutely something worth being diligent about if you uh, decide to go off the paved road and explore your own path with a custom developed solution. Trust, but verify. I like it. Well, Phil, thanks so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, David. Thanks for having me. Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about what Phil's up to, you can check out tenup.com. And thanks everyone for listening to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. Again, this is your host, David Vogelpohl. As a reminder, you can always subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes of Press This at webmasterradio.fm. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.